Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of SEPAD Pod, the sectarianism, proxies, and desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Maybon, and today I'm joined by Luciano Zaccara. Luciano is a research assistant professor in Gulf politics at the Gulf Studies Center at Qatar University. He's also the director of the Observatory on Politics and Elections in the Muslim and Arab World. He's someone who's written extensively on Iranian politics, on electoral politics, and as a consequence, I'm really interested to talk to him today about a range of these things and and his work more broadly. So, Luciano, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Really a pleasure. No, the pleasure is ours, Luciano. So, as usual, I, I'd like to begin by asking, what was it that that interested a, a young boy in Argentina about the Middle East and prompted a, an exploration into politics at university? Uh, well, actually, I have to admit that I was very young. Uh, I was 11 years old when I started uh, to follow these uh, things. I know it sounds a little bit ridiculous for a, <laughs> a very young uh, boy, <laughs> but it was the time of the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, in the school, they asked us to they requested us to do a, like a kind of uh, homework, uh, analyzing what was uh, going on in the press. And I started to follow the events of the war. It was the beginning of September 1980. So when I started to collect the newspapers uh, articles from the newspaper of my town in 1980, uh, I didn't stop when the the homework finished. I kept collecting all these uh, newspaper articles. And when I realized the war finished and I had a folder with more than 2,000 articles collected from the newspaper from my town. Wow. So it was already late to change my interest uh, on uh, mainly Iran-Iraq war and then uh, more interested in Iranian, uh, the Islamic revolution of Iran. I started to be the only one then, uh, by then I was already in political science, uh, studying political science in, in Rosario, in Argentina. And I was the only one dealing with this kind of uh, topics in my university. So I realized that it was a niche to conduct research and to study in a country that was very far from everything related to Middle East, uh, uh, the Islamic Revolution, etc. So I said, why not? Fantastic. So I have two initial questions, Luciano. The first is, uh, what what are your abiding memories then from that that summer in in 1980? What is it that that you can really really recall from that time? And the second is, do you still have the folder of articles? Well, for the second, yes, of course I have it, <laughs> and I digitalized them. Right. So. The problem is, uh, since you do it when you are young, uh, then after 20 years you don't know exactly what to do with that uh, folder. I have it in uh, in my house, I, I digitalize it, and I always plan to do something about how the war was covered by the Argentinian press uh, by then. Uh, but this is one of the things I will do maybe when I retire, when I don't have <laughs> more urgent things uh, to do. It would be very. I mean, it would be very. I'm mean, to come back to the my, my sources. <laughs> uh, the other question, uh, actually, I remember there was a kind of uh, an excitement about uh, for the first time. Uh, it was a kind of war uh, broadcasted, not alive, because at that time we didn't even have cable TV in Argentina. 
but there was every day there was kind of at least for a couple of months there was um, an information every day in the news talking about the war talking about the war where uh, someone uh, uh, with a turban in his uh, head started the uh, a revolution and then someone called Saddam Hussein invaded another country and in the middle of the Cold War. Uh, so I found it very exciting to try and to, to understand what was going on, who was uh, supporting who, how many countries were involved, uh, trying to understand this uh, in a map, trying to, to locate all yeah. these uh, countries and regions in the world that they were very far from, from, from my country. And also, I found it interesting trying to explain other people about that uh, and uh, generating curiosity in other people that mm, maybe they were interested in politics, but they never explored that area of uh, international politics and they got also interested in what I was uh, telling them or how I explained them uh, what was going on in, in the region. Sure. That's really interesting to hear that, that it's not only the interest in the topic, but also the, the engagement with others about it. That, this shows a, a budding intellectual career there from a very young age. Uh, Luciano, you, you did your, your degree in Argentina, and then, then what happened? Then life took you to Spain? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, in Argentina, of course, I, I did my BA in political science. Uh, and I kept doing research uh, with the sources that, that they were reaching uh, Argentina by, by then, mainly books. Uh, and then I found the, 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 the chance to, I got the chance to, to do my PhD in, in Spain, in the Autonoma University of Madrid, in the Department of Arab and Islamic Studies. So I, I applied for that. Uh, and while I was doing my PhD, I started to work uh, as a research uh, a fellow in, uh, in 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 the department there, so I started to to continue with my my studies there, more closer to the region. Even though Spain is, of course, it's a little bit far from the region, but from the Argentinian perspective, moving to Europe to conduct a, a PhD was a kind of a big step. Yeah. And from Spain, I started to travel to 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 the region. So I started to travel very often to to Iran to conduct fieldwork. Uh, for the first time, uh, this was 20 years ago, <laughs> right? <laughs> Long time, uh, but I mean, it was interesting for me to also to interact with other people that they had uh, also background from the region, uh, people from the different Arab countries, from uh, Middle East countries, from Iran. Uh, I got the chance to 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 do uh, uh, research um, trips to UK as well to spend some time one year in, in Exeter University. Uh, in the Institute of Arab and Islamic Studies, uh, to travel to Italy, to, to, to finish some kind of uh, uh, studies in uh, Islamistic. Um, and it was, of course, a complementation of my again, uh, the, the things I learned on my own in Argentina. Sure. Uh, and then it was all complemented by the fieldwork trips uh, that I did uh, uh, to Iran since 2000. So... Uh, before we get on to the field work, and I'm, I'm quite keen to hear about your, your reflections of Iran, what was the thesis on, your, your doctoral thesis? My thesis was about the, um, the decision-making units in uh, Iranian foreign policy, 
and to what extent uh, I was trying to understand to what extent electoral processes uh, were able to shape or not this uh, decision uh, making units right uh, in in the foreign policy making okay since the times of uh, since the times of uh, Khomeini until um, Ahmadinejad. So there's some interesting dimensions there, sort of straddling both the domestic and foreign policy making worlds. So I, I yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that in a minute. But um, Luciano, let, let's go back to Iran 20 years ago. Then, what are your what are your first and abiding memories of of stepping foot on? On Iranian soil, having had this this long-standing interest in the subject from thousands of miles away. Well, actually, it was a kind of a, a dream that I was able to to reach to to Iran. I was studying Farsi before going uh, there, so uh, to some extent, I was, I mean, uh, finally reaching uh, out with the place I was uh, doing research about without never. <laughs> Uh, putting a, a foot on on the ground, so for me it was a kind of uh, discovery of uh, I would say a new world because of course I knew a lot of stuff, reading books, uh, watching TV, watching documentaries or whatever, and even talking to people. But it was not the same to be in in that place to talk to people there to see how they live. It was at the times of uh, Hatami where it was a little bit more open than, for instance, the period of uh, Ahmadinejad. Uh, so there was a kind of uh, interest of uh, Iran to reach out also with, with people. So the, the way in which uh, I was received and we were received because we traveled with other group of people as well, it was incredible. And I started to uh, love other kind of things that I found in Iran, like hospitality of people there, the kindness uh, of people there, the richness of uh, its uh, culture. Uh, wherever uh, wherever you go, I mean, every time I go to Iran, I try to, of course, to do fieldwork, to talk to to discuss uh, to discuss things with the uh, scholars, diplomats, etc. But I also try to complement my trips visiting some new cities. Uh, and sometimes I start to talk to Iranians, and when I tell them how many cities I, I visited, they they tell me that oh, you know more Iran than me, <laughs> which is not true actually, but but it's true that I. I travel a lot. I, I try to travel to north, south, east, and west. Yeah. Uh, anytime I can, uh, I travel because actually it's a it's a place in which I ever I I I, I never felt any insecurity in traveling. Uh, even in, in, in Azerbaijan, in Mashhad, in uh, Bam, in uh, Bandarabas, in all the places I've been, I was treated treated in in a very nice way. Uh, and this, I think, is adding more value to all the research I've been I, I've been doing because you complement all the things you already know uh, with the current knowledge of uh, people there and knowing their realities, knowing what they think, knowing what they what they feel. Uh, and moreover, when we are discussing about sanctions and uh, how Iran is relating with other countries, you can understand what is their position, what are their concerns. Uh, and what are their options in terms of uh, policy making when sometimes they they are facing not not more than uh, sanctions or aggressions from other countries? It depends on how you you understand, of course. But this is something that they was always trying to to show in my classes as well. I'm teaching Iranian politics, 
an Iranian foreign policy since a long time ago. And I always try to give uh, both visions from outside and from inside. And this is something that the students always appreciate because uh, moreover in this context in, in, the, in, in Qatar, uh, having someone who is uh, expressing what the Iranians' views are or perceptions or concerns is something that they appreciate because sometimes they don't know uh, and it's difficult in the GCC context to, to, to know what the Iranians uh, think or what the Iranians perceive because there is uh, a disconnection between the GCC and, and Iran actually. Yeah, and we can uh, we can get onto that in a in a little bit if if we can, uh, Luciano. Going back to your your thesis and the work that you've done, you you've got this wonderful way of straddling the the two of the the levels of analysis, I guess. So mm-hmm. can you can you just talk a little bit for people who've not been fortunate enough to read your work as yet, and I hope they will do after this podcast because. There's a lot of really rich material in there. Can you uh, just articulate a bit about how you you work around these these questions of the different levels of analysis and how the the domestic decision making processes impact on the the foreign mel- foreign policy making? Mm. Well, actually, well, unfortunately, my thesis is, is in Spanish, so <laughs> <laughs> you have to wait for 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 translation or I mean I published some of this stuff in English as well but my, yes. my thesis is in Spanish uh, what I, I I worked in my thesis is the, mainly to analyze the structure of the political system in Iran dividing the the static uh, structure and the uh, flexible structure which is the, the, the linked to the electoral processes and to see how they influenced uh, in the foreign policy decision making, and to what extent the elected institutions, mainly the presidency and the, and the parliament, uh, had or not a big influence in changing the orientation of the foreign policy or the principles of the foreign policy. Mm. So my main conclusion, if I can, I can say that is that of course the uh, principles of the Iranian foreign policy did not change uh, during since Khomeini until now because they were defined by the founder of the Islamic Republic and neither uh, the presidents or the elected uh, institutions nor the following leader were able to, to change those principles. But what I argue is that there is a room or there was a room uh, for maneuvering or changing orientation in foreign policy uh, due to the influence of the electoral institutions uh, or the flexible part of the political structure in Iran. And this, of course, has been visible during the times of Rasanjani, Hatami and Ahmadinejad. I reached, I reached the, the half of the period of Ahmadinejad uh, by then. And you could see, at least this is my, my approach, that you could see changes in the foreign policy orientation without changing the foreign policy principles, and this is attributed to the fact that, to some extent, these elected institutions uh, were able to um, modify this uh, uh, decision-making units. Uh, bearing in mind that decision-making units, of course, are very reduced in this kind of uh, countries in which uh, you don't have a very institutionalized uh, decision-making process. Uh, but to some extent, in Iran, there is. Uh, uh, this uh, institutionalist mechanism. The problem is we 
never know exactly how the black box works uh, in this kind of countries where transparency is not one of the main uh, characteristics of uh, decision making. Sure. But you can understand, you can analyze the outputs of the foreign policy uh, to understand or, or to elaborate on how do you think these things uh, happen or can happen inside the, the black box. Mm. Can you elaborate on this a little bit with regard to, to the nuclear deal then, perhaps? You've, you've written about the JCPOA in, in a number of different outlets. So I wonder if you can just say a little bit about that, please, Luciano. Yeah, I mean, actually, this is one one good example how the nuclear issue, uh, if you bear in mind how it was uh, negotiated during the times of Hatami, how it was negotiated during the times of Ahmadinejad, during the times of Rafsanjani, during the times of uh, Rouhani right now, you can understand that it's not the same institution or not the same people who is dealing with the dossier. Uh, during the times of Ahmadinejad, it was much more the president who was in charge of the negotiations, while, while the, now it's the foreign ministry. Uh, during the times of uh, uh, Hatami, was uh, actually Rouhani who was in charge of the negotiation, or even uh, the ambassadors like uh, Musabian. So you could see that depending on the different uh, president, the decision-making unit was changing based on the um, capacity or the influence of the personalities that they were occupying those positions. Mm. Uh, so that's my, my argument that if the president uh, managed to uh, uh, to take the nuclear dossier from the influence uh, of the leader or other members of the establishment, it was done in a way that the president was uh, willing to do it. Uh, if you had someone with an overwhelming uh, power capacity like Khamenei uh, um, uh, or even Rasanjani during the times of Rasanjani, the nuclear dossier went through other uh, channels that they decided. So it depends on the, the capacity or the influence that these uh, individuals have over the political system. The nuclear dossier was moving from one area of decision-making to the other. And this is how I think the decision-making units were changing along the, the years. Sure. And just to speculate briefly, where do you see this going in the in the coming years? Uh, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I, I, I know. Sorry, uh, I, I mean, put you on the spot. It will there, all depend you know? on uh, how uh, Rouhani's presidency is uh, finishing and uh, who would be the next uh, president. Uh, now it's clear that uh, Sarif Sarif is taking the the leading voice in the negotiations. Uh, even though, of course, uh, he needs the approval uh, from the establishment, from the establishment, from the leader, from the president, but he's the one, the visible uh, face on all this uh, negotiation. And, and I really think that um, he's the one, the, the main negotiator. But it depends on who is going to be the next president. You know that the president uh, presidential election is uh, in 2021. Yeah. And it depends on the character of the the person who is going to be the president, if it's a strong uh, president with a strong support from the establishment, clerical and political establishment from the leader, or if it's going to be someone who is not uh, in a good uh, relations with the establishment, this will, I assume that it will influence in the fact that the nuclear dossier is going to the presidency or is taken by maybe the, um, the expediency council or even uh, to the national uh, security council. Mm. So, but I expect that the next president, I mean, 
we don't know exactly who is going to be one of the candidates uh, or names that is mentioned is uh, Ali Larijani, who is the current member, the president of the Majlis. So it depends on the relation of Larijani with the establishment. Uh, we will see how the nuclear dossier yeah, is going to be discussed. Of course. So yeah, we'll we'll put down the crystal ball for now, Luciano. Uh, but what I would like to talk to you a little bit about is is elections, because that's the other really prominent strand of of your work. And I guess it, it dates back to the, the PhD and the the role of um, electoral processes and decision making. But can you just tell us a little bit about what it is that you're trying to do with your your focus on elections and perhaps the um, the other project that you're running, which focuses on elections across the, the Muslim and Arab worlds? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, well, actually, this was my main. I mean, this is another thing that I was also interested in when I was uh, young in the Argentinian context in the 80s when democratization uh, process started uh, in the 80s, in the 83, in Argentina specifically. Uh, I was very interested in understanding the behavior of political parties and uh, how people perceive the, the electoral processes and where we were moving. Uh, towards in, in Latin America. So I assume that this also affected the way in which I was uh, uh, observing electoral processes in, in Iran, mainly during the times of uh, Hatami. Uh, and I started to inquire myself what was the meaning of electoral processes in countries that they are not 100% authoritarian, but they are not 100% democratic. And I started to realize that there were no many um, uh, works or literature um, uh, written about electoral processes in uh, non-democratic contexts, because most of the times uh, this kind of literature uh, was disregarding these processes because they didn't consider them as uh, free and fair and democratic. But however, these electoral processes take place take place, uh, and moreover, if you start going to Iran during elections, you will see that there's a lot of interest from the people, from candidates, from authorities, uh, not only in in Iran, but in other uh, Middle East countries. So I started to ask myself why they conduct elections, this country, what is the meaning that the authorities give to the electoral processes, what is the meaning that the candidates or people that they participate to run for office gives to the elections, and what is the meaning that the people, the voters, are giving to these uh, processes? Because whether we like it or not, people go to vote, yeah. uh, and they found uh, or they find a justification to go to vote, whether you share it or not, or uh, whether it's not the same kind of justification that they give in the um, uh, democratic uh, or democratized countries. So. I assume that my interest was trying to understand what is the meaning of uh, electoral processes in Iran and which were the um, the outputs of electoral processes. And I mean, and this is related to, to, to my thesis. Uh, at the end of the day, we have some electoral processes that they have influences in the political system and they have, they have an impact on foreign policy. And this is something that I always argue or... Uh, justify when I when I start speaking about elections in Iran. Mm. If elections had no meaning and no impact in policy making or in the political structure, why everybody is so worried about the result of elections in Iran? Every time Ahmadinejad or Hatami or Rouhani participated in elections, everybody in the world was worried about the, the results. 
So my point is, if there is no impact, why there is so much interest? Why the United States or Europe are saying, oh, we want this guy to win or, or to lose? Because we understand that there is an impact. It's not the same to have Rouhani, Hatami, or Ahmadinejad as presidents. We got, because we, we can see that it's not the same because of the outputs uh, in foreign policy, uh, mainly. So this is, I, I think, the main thing that attracts uh, attracts uh, my attention when I analyzing this this these electoral uh, processes. Mainly in Iran, of course, it could be a little bit different in in the GCC states or Jordan or other countries I, I, I've been following. Yeah. But again, you have elections in the whole region. Uh, I assume that they have a meaning for all the people that they, they take part on, on, on the whole process. Sure. Luciano, we've taken up a lot of your time already, but, but if it's okay with you, I'm going to ask you one final question. Just going back to an earlier comment you made about, about tensions between the Iranians and the GCC. And as someone who works a lot on Iran but is based in the GCC. I wonder if you can just share a few of your observations and reflections on that topic, please. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, as I said before, it's, for me, it's very interesting to teach Iranian politics uh, here uh, yeah. uh, because the way in which is Iran is perceived here is absolutely different from my uh, point of view and from what I... Uh, shared in, uh, in when I was teaching in, in Spain. So uh, whether you like it or not, here in the region there is a common uh, perception about Iran. Uh, I mean, maybe not a direct threat in some cases, but something that is uh, concerned for for the, the security of the region. So every time I approach this uh, topic here, you need to bear in mind the, also the concerns of uh, the people here in the region. Uh, that said, for instance, I remember something that I always mentioned uh, when there was um, the the signature of the JCPOA in 2015, I was invited for a roundtable. Uh, I will not say where or who was invited, but sure. uh, we were five in the roundtable. I was the last one in speaking, and I realized after uh, the other speakers spoke that I was the one that that was really excited and happy about the signature of the JCPOA because I considered that the JCPOA was something that would provide stability uh, in the region and that actually uh, it was the first time that the controversy in the region was uh, solved without shooting any 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 bullet. And I realized, oh my God, I am the only happy here. So everybody took the JCPOA as something uh, more... Uh, uh, concerning than uh, anything else. Uh, and then I realized that, okay, so this is, uh, in this context, uh, anything that would benefit Iran or that would uh, provide Iran with more influence or capacity of maneuver in the region uh, is considered more as a concern rather than an opportunity for diplomacy. So, of course, this provided me a idea. The idea is that even though Iran can be considered as a circumstantial ally in some uh, areas or for some uh, countries, it's still a lot of uh, distrust and concern about uh, Iranians' uh, intentions. I mean, the Iranians are always trying to reach out with the GCC, trying to show that they are not uh, a threat. But this is something that is very difficult for the Iranians to understand, why the GCC uh, 
states and populations they feel uh, concerned about the Iranian influence because at the end of the day they see Iran as a giant uh, uh, with a very controversial political history and with a very controversial sometimes relations with the GCC. So even though Iran is providing a lot of uh, uh, warranties that the Iran is not interested in uh, exporting the revolution or not interested in expansionist uh, uh, dreams in, in the region, there is still a lack of uh, distrust. Mm. Uh, and sometimes you see that even in, in the classrooms when you are discussing about that. Yeah, of course. And that must be a, a fascinating set of discussions based on on a range of different forces coalescing in the in the classroom, but a safe space mm-hmm. in which yeah. you can you can challenge and contest and, and reflect on all these different views. Exactly. This is something that I, I like when I am here. I mean, uh, uh, we have a lot of international students, so we have not only Qatar students, but a mix, uh, mixture of uh, students. Even uh, we have some Iranian, very, very few, but we have uh, one uh, doing the PhD here. But we had students from Turkey, Pakistan, Egypt, uh, Africa, even some Latin American. So it's a good context uh, to an- analyze and understand the uh, Iranians' relation with the GCC in a context that you can have actually very good discussions about, and you you can confront the perceptions of all these people coming from a different, very different background uh, mm. in, in classroom. Uh, and I'm, I have to admit that I mean I, I like the students to to discuss, and sometimes they engage in a very uh, alive discussions uh, among them. Uh, so it's interesting to, to, to understand what are their concerns. And I, I am happy to, to, to understand that many different uh, uh, perceptions uh, exist regarding Iran, regarding the GCC. Yeah. And it's good to, to make them uh, freely discuss in, in class about that. Of course. Well, Luciano, thank you so much for, for spending time with us today and talking us through these these really fascinating dimensions of your research. I've really enjoyed it, and there's been a lot to to take in. So um, I, I look forward to, to our paths crossing sometime soon and to, to talking about these things in more detail in the not-too-distant future. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to, to talk to you. Thanks, Luciano. Until next time, thanks for listening.